Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Well, it saddened me so to see you today And to hear such frustration directed your way Brother, hear me when I say I could see you torn and troubled inside The quick agitation danced in your eyes Heard that old world weary sigh But I know you're noble, honest and kind A person of quality in spirit and mind The precious sword that's hard to find Sometimes I just want to let these songs run Like the whole song but I'm not going to do that because it's ask or tell me anything. So here's the way this works. Well, assuming it does work, uh, which I think is an open question. Uh, but yes, there's no guest planned here today. I'll, I'll have something to say about that. A little something to say about that uh, when the opportunity presents itself. But yes, uh, there is um, no no guest booked for today. Um, and you are welcome to call 888-720-WNPR. That's 888 888- Seven two zero nine six seven seven. If you're not into the whole alphanumeric thing, and that's it, you just you know, and there's no real set of rules about what you can and can't talk about. We like esoteric things, we like eclectic things, and we're happy to talk about things that do not amount to a hill of beans. Um, all right, so here we go. Uh, but we'll also talk about important things too. There are important things happening in the world. We don't discount them. Um, so uh, let's. I was going to make a joke about retail, but I, I can't really pull it together. Uh, so here's Eric and Cheshire, the first caller of the day. Quite exciting, if I do say so. Hi, Eric. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Um, September, I had the privilege of uh, observing a coyote for the first time, and I managed to produce uh, three great uh, video clips of it using my smartphone. Um, uh, uh, and I was able to observe this coyote on three separate nights uh, shortly after sundown. Uh, and one of the most interesting behaviors uh, that I observed, in which I haven't seen in any, in any of the literature uh, regarding uh, coyote behavior, is uh, that this coyote... Um, when it ran a short distance across the field, would stop, lift its nose up into the air, and turn its head to the side, uh, and uh, kind of exposing the white, uh, the white lower jaws and and its throat. And I thought it might have just been trying to sniff the air, 
but then on uh, one night um, when uh, it was near the edge of the woods, it engaged in the same behavior, and uh, I saw two other coyotes behind it. So um, the, the interesting thing about it is that, uh, like many other mammals, uh, coyotes have white coloration on the underside and a darker coloration on the top side. And uh, I just uh, it's just my theory that this might be a kind of... Uh, visual communication uh, between members of a pack, uh, perhaps a contact signal. Uh, so that that was one uh, that that I haven't seen in the literature. Maybe some other people have have observed that. Um, another is um, its reaction to my presence. Uh, it would run toward me a little bit. And when it spotted me, it would uh, retreat for a short distance, and then it would stop, turn its head around, and stare at me, and repeated the same behavior on a couple of more occasions uh, before it disappeared into the woods. And you know, deer uh, deer uh, respond to human presence in pretty much the same way. Uh, coyotes, like deer, are really quite timid. Uh, of humans mm-hmm. and uh, very cautious. I was just really fascinated by by this uh, by this animal, and um, uh, I want to refer you to a uh, July twenty fifth, two thousand twenty four article in the so Cheshire a, Herald. A, an article that takes place in the future. How am I supposed to like wait until it comes out? It's going to be just oh. frustrating. Oh no, it's not a future. It's it's already been in print. I must have fallen asleep for seven months. Okay. No, it's January 25th. Okay. I thought you said July, July 24th. All right. So, yes. Can I just okay. say one thing about the, the coyotes' head movements? Yeah. It's probably triangulating. What they do, so coyotes, like, you know, a lot of canids are really, um, you know, they're, all, they're about smell and about sound. But sound in particular, particularly if you're trying to find something, you're trying to find something that's you know, rustling around in the leaves or something like that, find, trying to find prey. And so what they do is, I think, a kind of auditory tri- triangulation. Coyote's moving its head around, listening from certain different angles to oh. see if it can figure out what it's hearing and wh- where that thing is. That would be my guess, anyway, about why it's doing that. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I want to refer you to this January 25th article in the Cheshire Herald, uh, where the DEEP is warning pet owners to keep a close eye on their pets because it's coyote mating. Season. Right, it is. It is. So yeah, I mean, we should say the like, coyotes are sort of amazing. They they yeah. live very very close to us. I mean, I live uh, in uh, very close to the Hartford West Hartford line. I live about a block and a half from the governor's mansion. We have coyotes in our yard all the time. Um, you know, they, they're ingenious. An interesting thing about them is that they're very monogamous. I mean, given the opportunity, they, they do mate for life. They're very smart. They're very organized. Most, some of them even have multiple dens so that if humans or somebody stumbles upon one of their dens, they've got a place to go right away. They can, you know, they got a go bag all packed, you know, it's got everything they need in it. Uh, their dens that have multiple entrances and exits so they can get out pretty easily. Um, and, you know, I mean, my assumption always is, and I'm walking dogs a lot, 
that I, that most of the time coyotes are watching me. You know, I mean, they live in my neighborhood. I see them in my yard. I just assume the fact that I don't see them doesn't mean anything. They're <laughs> they're there. They're watching us. They're very smart. And now I happen to live with a person. You know, I'm not saying this is like sort of a Taylor Swift is going to wreck the Super Bowl kind of conspiracy theory, but I happen to live with a person who believes that the the coyotes in our lives right now, the coyotes that we see are in fact coy wolves, the product of intermarriage uh, between coyotes and wolves. Uh, And I just think that's, you know, rank superstition uh, or something along those lines. But I wouldn't be surprised if the coyotes did steal the Super Bowl. Um, well, well, listen, I mean, like, not a team called the Coyotes either. Uh, all right, well, thanks so much for your call. 888 720 WNPR, 888 720 We're going to go directly from Coyotes to Bare Feet. Uh, where's Robert Parker when we need him? That, was, was that oh, hello? Hello, hello, hello. There we are. I'm so sorry about that. That's all right. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, just wondering where. Do you think bare feet are and are not acceptable? i got a few places to consider. All right. So they are most acceptable at the end of your leg. Uh, I think that that's the best place uh, for them. And I think people feel much much less comfortable when the bare feet are someplace else, like, you know, coming out of your head or something like that. That would be – so what what are the specifics of your question? Well, I'm wondering, okay, like outdoor cookouts. Bare feet acceptable? Outdoor cookouts. I I think if you're willing to take the chance that, you know, a random... I mean, it depends. There's outdoor cookouts, you know, at the Fenwick Fenwick and Old Saybrook, and then there's outdoor cookouts just where the rest of us live. Um, You know, it probably varies from town to town. I'm sure New Canaan has some fairly strict regulations about bare feet uh, at cookouts. And then, of course, you know, there's the stray ember from the charcoal, the, you know, the the little piece of uh, pork rind that ignites and floats through the the air and then lands on your foot. There are risks. But I also think, you know, there are there's, of course, and we did a show many years about this. There's a whole movement of people who just want to have bare feet all the time. You know, they want to go through their entire lives without wearing shoes and, and will do so until somebody stops them. But I, I think bare feet or cookout is okay. I wouldn't wear bare feet or I wouldn't fail to wear footwear um, <clears throat> if it was my first encounter with people. Like, you know, your fiance is taking you home to meet her parents. Uh, there's a cookout. You don't want to show up with your bare feet the first time, you know? All right. How about a movie theater where people can't really tell? Well, so so yes. I mean, this is this is actually where the rubber beats the road, so to speak. Is is the movie theater and the airplane thing, you know? I mean, yeah. You know, people often will want to squinch out of their shoes once they're in the airplane. And I think if you if you squinch out of your shoes in your sock feet, uh, so to speak. Uh, I don't think that that that's a problem, but you know, there's just some people who are kind of grossed out by feet and some people who also have really gross feet. Uh, yeah, and so the, you know, and, and air, the the definition, the 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 essence uh, of an airplane is close quarters, people you can't get away from. Why add somebody's bare, stinky, gnarly, uh, nasty-looking feet to that equation? Um, uh, so I think bare so feet like outdoors, outdoors. I think we start with outdoors. So uh, the better the feet, the more acceptable the bareness. Well, you know, yes, I would imagine Cindy Crawford's feet are nicer than mine. You know, I mean, it's yeah, just sort of, I, it's I sort of a dated supermodel reference. But all right, well, thank you. It was a very interesting discussion. 
Uh, I'll have to look up what Plato said about it. And who sang Barefoot? And I have to look this up on my phone right now. I believe it was Robert Parker Jr. Actually, I won't look it up on my phone. Somebody will call up and tell me. Um, 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. Does anybody even remember that song? I think they used it in a commercial not too long ago. But it's a song probably from the 60s. Everybody get on your feet. You make me nervous when you're in your seat. That one. Uh, take off your shoes and pat your feet. We're doing a dance that can't be beat. It's barefoot. All right. So I have to tell you a story while I'm waiting for other people to call up. The number, once again, is 888-720-WNPR <laughs> or 888-720-9677. You can call up about any topic. We've just illustrated that coyotes, bare feet. I don't know what the logical next call would be based on that, but there probably is a logical next call. Um, you can call them about anything you want, but you can also call them about the, the news. I follow the news. I know about the border deal. I know about the immunity ruling for Trump. I know about those things. You can call up about those things too if you want. All right. Um, so what I was going to say was, and once again, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. All calls are welcome. Um, so we've had a little interesting trend this week on the show. By the way, you can call about the show, too. People do. Um, so on Monday, you might have heard this one. On Monday, we had planned to do a show about free will. And it was a, the show was occasioned, to be honest, by a, a recent book by, by Robert Sapolsky, who's a neuroscientist and, and MacArthur Grant, genius grant winner and stuff, stuff like that. And he's out of Stanford. Uh, and... Um, and then we so in his book has really made some real waves because he says there's no such thing as free will. Good Lord, what just happened here? Um, he says there's no such thing as free will. Um, and it just doesn't exist. And so this is, you know, it really has created some excitement. We decided we would book him, that we would also book a, a researcher who believes the opposite, who believes that there's a scientific basis for asserting that there is free will and that the free will is probably not restricted just to humans, too. Um, so we booked him, uh, and then I suggested we also book for the third segment uh, somebody behind the Choose Your Own Adventure book series, because that you know obviously is a child's early encounter with something resembling free will. Okay, are you with me so far? <laughs> so, but you know Robert Sapolsky was the reason to do the show, and then it turned out he's like be, he is deluged with interview requests, and he has made apparently the bizarre choice and the wrong choice, I would say to try to book his own appearances. And, you know, authors and MacArthur Grant genius winners and stuff like that, they tend not to be that good at that. And he just wrote down, he wrote he wrote our time down as a Pacific Coast type. I don't know what he did, but he, he wasn't there. He wasn't, we do our, most of our shows live. Uh, probably about 85% of our content is live. Uh, and maybe a little less, but... Um, but he wasn't there, and so we had to improvise. And I mean, I like that. I'm, I was happy to do that. And Kevin Mitchell, who was the the kind of opposing voice in that, he he turned up his game quite a bit, and he was a great guest. And we had to find time. Okay, that was Monday. <laughs> um, Tuesday, we were doing a pre-tape, uh, and this is a show we've been working on for quite some time. It's about polymaths. Uh, and it's a show that I really want to do. It's very close to my heart. I'm really interested in polymaths and, and interested in the way in which polymaths were, were possible and necessary for most of human history. But with each wave of specialization, it gets harder and harder to be a polymath. 
um, to be competent and proficient uh, enough to achieve mastery and excellence in one field almost precludes doing that in, the, in another field. But, um, but it still happens. Anyway, we, I really want, I mean, we've been talking about this show for months. We got a producer working on it uh, for months, and it just you know, hasn't quite gelled. And, and, but there was one person, I don't want to say his name, but he wrote, not because he did, did anything wrong either, but uh, there's a book about polymaths that kind of got me thinking about it. And so we wanted to have the author of this book on, he lives in England and apparently has a little bit of a hearing difficulty, and I don't know what else. But so I came in here to this uh, self same studio that I'm sitting in right now. And by the way, the way it is called the self-same studio. It was donated to CT Public by uh, Edgar uh, and Evie Selfsame, a very nice family. They live in New Canaan, too. Uh, and I was sitting here in this self-same studio, and he just kind of couldn't make his Zoom work or something. There was just – we couldn't get him on the air. Uh, we couldn't get him – we couldn't pre-tape with him. So that's like two days in a row. And he goes, you know, not to complain, not to whine, because I have a wonderful job and I like it very much. But – you know, I'd spent hours getting ready for Robert Sapolsky, as had Lily Tyson. And then I'd spent hours getting ready for the not-to-be-named polymath guest. Um, and I'm starting to look at those hours as hours that I won't get back in my finite remaining years here on Earth. And so that's one reason I'm very happy to be doing this show today. There are no guests that can't go wrong. Something can go wrong with today's show. But one thing that can't go wrong with today's show is that the guest won't show up. Or won't, will be unreachable or impossible to talk to. So, um, you know, I'm just I'm pulling back the curtain a little bit, letting you see some of what goes on here. All right. Okay. So we have some people with pet peeves and we have some people with pets and uh, we have people who think they're coyotes. We have everything waiting for you. And we'll start with Ted from Litchfield. Hi, Ted. Hey, Colin. How are you? Just fine. Uh, this is a quick one. Uh, whenever Connecticut makes the National Wire uh, with a news story, and this includes NPR, the reporter always signs off by just saying Connecticut. Mm -hmm. They don't say what city, what town, and it happens all the time. It's so funny because, like, you remember when they had that damn failure out in Norwich? You know, that made NPR. No reason to swear, first said, of all, but go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, what the reporter said, you know, oh, reporting from Connecticut. I, I, I never noticed this before. This is, yeah, I mean, well, this, I'm not questioning your veracity, but I just never yeah. noticed this. Well, this maybe next time just check it out because it happens all the time. It might be something that the legislature and the governor might need to weigh in on just to raise our image here a little bit. So do you think there could we be like a... 169 a, cities and towns, you know, we all have individual right. personalities. But from a certain point of view, that's the problem. I mean, from an... I, I can tell you this. I mentioned this on Where We Live a couple weeks ago. But um, at one point, the Hart, you know, the Hartford Current used to be owned by sort of local people and a family, uh, and one family in particular. And eventually it was sold. It was sold to Times Mirror. Eventually the LA Times sent out a team to run the Hartford Current uh, of people who had been working in Los Angeles at the LA Times. And when they got to Connecticut, one of the things they they looked around in the Hartford Current at those days, this would have been sort of late 70s, yeah, late 70s, maybe around 1980. Um, they looked around and they, they said, 
oh my God, you've got like bureaus in these little tiny places. Why do you have an old Saybrook bureau? Why do you have a Groton bureau? Why do you have an Avon bureau? Uh, and, and we said, because people really care about local news and here in Connecticut, yes, there are 169 towns in this tiny little place. And they said, well, that's nuts. And they started closing the bureaus and people got really mad because, in fact, like you, people are very attached to the idea that their town is a very special <laughs> town and it's a very different place. And Litchfield is absolutely nothing like New Milford. How could anyone suggest it was like Warren or Morris or any of those Wamogo places? Uh, and, you know, from an outside point of view, it's not a really big place. <laughs> it's no, like, oh, I'm in Connecticut. I mean, probably you should say from Norwich, Connecticut. But um, it's, you know, it's Connecticut. I sort of... I sort of understand why an outsider might think we're being a little fussy about our little tiny state that could, like, you know, fit inside a large well, metropolitan. Maybe, maybe later, see if your if your feed on X, you know, you get some posts about it. Other people have noticed it. I will absolutely but, do that. I will. I, you know, one thing I I promise, Ted. I fo- I promise follow up. One thing about Ask or Tell Me Anything, we follow up on this stuff rigorously. That's not really true. By the time I get home, I have no idea what happened on the show. But, um, you know, I have to take snapshots of the screen just like a memento so I can remember. Here is Marianne from Orange. Uh, and I'm not, I didn't say Marianne from Connecticut, did I? I said Marianne from Orange. Uh, so, Marianne, what is on your mind? What's on my mind is ageism and Joseph Biden. Okay. I'm tired of hearing from fellow Democrats that he's too old. Uh, I think that we've had presidents who haven't been able to put together a sentence. And that's certainly not what Biden is. I just want you to to know that Plato observed that Sparta was ruled by elders above the age of 60, which is pretty much equivalent to 80 these days. Yeah, no, eight, eight, the people say 80 is the new Spartan 60. Um, <laughs> people you hang out with, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the idea is that he comes not just as a single individual. We vote for a president, but we vote for a president with a whole coterie of uh, men and women advisors around him. And I just think that it's one of the things that the both the Democratic Party and the country has to recognize There's there's nothing wrong with being 80, especially in 2024. Um, I just wanted to get your feelings on that. Right. Well, first of all, I heartily agree with the second part uh, of your call. And I actually said this yesterday to the class that I teach. Um, that I said exactly that thing. I said people sometimes forget. They think that they're electing a president. They're really electing an administration. You know, and, and you can say what you want about, say, Trump and Biden, for example. But Biden's administration will be very different from Trump's. We know what Trump. We know what Trump's administration was like, the kind of people that he wanted last time. And he's made it clear that he wants people who are even more nefarious and less interested in good government than he had the last time around. And yeah, I mean, one, one attractive thing uh, about some candidates is you know that that they'll bring in highly competent people. I, I personally, I, I am sympathetic with people who feel as though the choice that we're going to be offered in November between, you know, two pretty old guys, you know, and, and imagine being a millennial. Imagine being, uh, you know, uh, in, in your 20s or your 30s, even a millennial or a, a, a Zoomer. Um, 
and just thinking, wow, you know, every my whole life is ahead of me, and this, it's a precarious world, and there are a lot of things that really need to be addressed that I care passionately about, and I just don't feel any sense of commonality with these two people. Um, and and I, you know, but yeah. again, it's the, not the individual; it's the whole group that comes with him. And do we really want to see to, to those people who are willing to not vote for Biden want to see? The as you say, the nefarious group that uh, that Trump would bring in. I mean, I, I think the Democratic Party and I think the whole country needs to focus a little bit more on this. Yeah, uh, I, I, I I don't know. I don't quite agree. I, I I mean, look, Joe Biden has been around forever. You know, it's not just his president. Right. His, he clearly his, knows how to make deals. Well, he knows how to make deals, but also. You know, there one one of the things that I've changed about you know it's sort of good every once in a while to inventory yourself and say have you changed your thinking about anything? Uh, one thing that I've changed my thinking about over the decades is term limits. I actually do think you you need to you know that that probably the U.S. Senate should be limited to you know two six year terms. Uh, probably. Congress, you know, members of Congress should maybe also be limited to a total of 12 years or something like that. Um, you, know, you really do need to get fresh people in there, new ideas and stuff like that. Joe Biden was, I think he was in this, he was elected to the Senate around the time I was graduating from college, and I'm 69 years old right now. <laughs> um, and I, I do think it's time uh, and, and it's helpful to our country to get you know, I mean, when people like Clinton and Obama came in, they were considerably younger, and and I think they bring a different kind of energy. Um, I, I think one of the reasons Obama won in 08, actually, was uh, the financial crisis hit, and McCain seemed at times like he didn't have a good grasp on it, that he, he couldn't think fast enough to, to react appropriately to some of the stuff that was happening, like when Lehman Brothers fell, fell or whatever. Um, and I don't know. I... I I wish that we had a more of a choice. Uh, I wish we didn't have a choice do, between. But this year we no, don't. We don't. I get it. I get it. And I certainly don't think there's any meaningful difference age-wise between Biden and Trump. I mean, they're the same age as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, so you know, I mean, pick your poison that way. And and yes, do understand you're electing an administration. All right, we got to take a quick break, but we do have Josie, and we got John, and we got Ted, and we got uh, Charlene. What could be better? We'll be back after this. Oh, good folks who test my duty, to inform you of one duty. I'd ask if you a favor not to seek her for a while. Though I own she is a creature of character and feature, no words can paint the picture of the queen of all the Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. 
So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed. And in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Don't tell me about a night in June or a shady lane beneath the velvet moon. Don't tell me because I want to talk about you. All right. Yes, we want to talk. We want to talk about you uh, and well, or about whatever your topic is. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. I'm looking at one question that I do not know the answer to, uh, but I won't go to that next. Uh, I think, first of all, we need to wrap up the whole bare, barefoot in question or alternatively turn it into a more confusing question. Uh, we'll see which one of those two Ted in rural Basra comes up with. Hi, Ted. Hey, uh, uh, Johnny Rivers saying barefoot. Here's the problem. I mean, first of all, I bow to no one uh, in my admiration for Johnny Rivers. Uh, but Johnny Rivers often covered work by other people. Um, and uh, and sometimes his his versions were so appealing or so well marketed that they became well in, better known. Uh, than than the original. I, I think in this case that that's what happened. Uh, I believe Robert Parker did the original version uh, of Barefoot and Johnny covered it. Okay. Because I and I do want to mention that the original version of Barefoot does contain a reference to our afternoon anchor uh, here at Connecticut Public. It goes, Little John Henry, he said to Sue, If I was barefoot, and would you barefoot to? Sue told John, I'm 32. I was barefooting ever since I was two. We're barefooting. John Henry, John Henry Smith. <laughs> back in, in music, way back in, in the day, they knew that he was coming. Uh, all right. Uh, so I think, I think we can lay the barefooting question to rest. Fascinating, though it might be. We'll go to Charlene and then up to Josie, and we'll just travel all over the place. Oh, Bethany, I'm very interested in this this question as well. All right, Charlene from New Haven, you have the floor. Yes. Hi, Colin. I most recently saw a psychic medium. I have a healthy skepticism. However, my mom passed uh, about a year ago or so. I had a tremendously uh, spiritual experience, nothing I felt before um, while being with her as she passed. Do you have any experience with or anyone know anything about psychic mediums? Again, healthy skepticism, but I sure seem to have made a connection with both the medium as well as my mom. That's, I mean, I prefer a psychic large, frankly, but, um, you know, I, look, here's, the, here's, <laughs> here's what I would say. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, this being public radio, uh, we have probably way more skeptics listening than we do believers about almost anything right. that, that might be supernatural or woo-woo or anything like that. I think what's probably more important, particularly in this context with you having experienced a severe loss, is that as long as you're not being exploited, as long as the, peop- you know, the, the medium isn't taking a whole bunch of your money or like, you know, 
making you very dependent on him or her. Um, I, I don't think there's any harm in it. Um, I also think that, yes, there are experiences in this world that do not always conform to our understanding. You know, I mean, Hamlet had it right. Uh, there are more things in heaven and earth. And so, you know, I, I feel I feel you're getting something out of this and it doesn't sound like you're losing anything in the process. And I, I, no, I think that I think that if that's the case, it's fine and you shouldn't worry about it too much. I, I, I think if you mention it to 20 people, 18, 18 <laughs> of them are going to tell you you're nuts uh, or At that least. or that you're being taken advantage of or whatever. But I also feel like, yeah. we, you know, we often have to I mean, look. Uh, I've often attended church. I'm, I'm sure I'm not done in my life attending church. Church essentially, depending on the denomination, but for the most part, asks you to believe in something that's invisible, asks you to take something uh, on faith, uh, asks you to believe in things that are rather improbable. Um, and in some ways, that's priced into our nature. You know, Yuval Harari in Sapiens talks about one of the defining capacities uh, of Homo sapiens is or is or was the moment when they began to be able to think about things that were invisible. Um, mm. You know, that most animals can't think of something that can't be seen, can't be understood, is fully abstract, uh, has no tangible meaning in their lives. And one of the you know, the basic human aspects is that we can do that. And we can do that whether it makes any... I mean, look, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. It doesn't really make any sense to get way more excited about a bunch of people wearing green and gold uniforms than you do about people wearing purple and black uniforms. And to really believe that the world will be a better place if the people in the gold, green and gold uniforms win this game. It's an irrational thing, but I mean, the it's the most. I mean, you know, NFL football is the most popular thing in the United States. So I don't think you should have to put up with a lot of people questioning your rationality. If you examine the rationality of human behavior, you'll find that it departs from rationality, you know, in a lot of different ways. Right. Um, well, so- my, my thing is, I'm a seeker of the truth, so it's not so much what people think about me or my beliefs. I just want to know the truth, but I guess that's not how faith works. No, it's not. No, that's not. Faith is not for seekers of the truth. Um, right. But, you know, I mean, once again, if you're getting something out of it, if you, I mean, another way to think about all this, I'm going to spend a little extra time with this because I think it's important, is even if it's not true, the fact that it gets you thinking and feeling in a different way than you were thinking and feeling that when you went in, um, that that has some intrinsic value all by itself, right? That's kind of why, like, I see a therapist once a week, and I, you know, ideally, uh, I walk in there in one state and walk out in another. Um, and, right. you know, I mean, this is maybe not all that different. You know, I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't bequeath anything. To... And, I, and I do the latter along with you, so I understand that concept. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, don't. Don't put the medium in your will or anything like that, you know, but otherwise you're right. fine, okay? It's fine. All right. It's fine. Thank you. It's Good fine. conversation. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for calling in. All right. Now what am I going to do? We've got so many people who want to talk. All of them have interesting things. Well, let's go to Bethany in Hartford. Here's Bethany in Hartford. Hi. You're on the air. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I love the show. Um, I've actually been waiting for a time I could call in during your call-in hours to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, So crosswalk signals. I live in the west end of Hartford. I could pretty much walk or bike to most places I want to go. But 
I think that the way we do crosswalk signals in this area actively discourages that, um, that first there are no crosswalk signals. And if you press the button for the crosswalk signal, and I understand these are called a beg button, uh, you have to both wait a long time and then it blocks both sides of the crosswalk, mm-hmm. like both directions. Um, and so that's worse for traffic. So what I want is one-way crosswalk uh, signals like walk signs every time um, that it's a red light. Mm-hmm. Maybe not when there's a left turn signal. Well, it's also so, in, a, in a right turn on red situation, though, you kind of need, I think, to block both directions, don't you? No, no. People are supposed to stop before they turn right on red. Right. And they should stop. They shouldn't go if a car is going, and they shouldn't go if a person's going. Right. But supposed is the key word in that sentence. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I have a lot to add to it. Obviously, we, we would like particular, particularly urban areas and, and densely packed suburban areas to be more pedestrian friendly. We want to do anything we can to encourage people to leave their cars behind, walk, bike, do all those things. I think Americans are kind of intrinsically disobedient. Um, one, one way that I really noticed this in, is in Japan, in Japan, first of all, rules are taken very seriously. Crosswalks are taken extremely seriously. Um, so much so that, I, I mean, I do remember a day I was staying uh, on uh, a little sort of man-made island south of Kobe, uh, and we were walking around there. And so this island is totally, it's flat. It's just kind of built out of fill that they took off the top of a mountain. And so we were at a crosswalk, and you could see, you know, for a great distance in all directions, and there was no car coming, and one of one of the people I was with, somebody who was actually at that time living in Japan, stepped into the road to walk across, and and his wife said, "Don't do that! Don't do that! <laughs> they're just gonna they're gonna see you, and they're gonna think we're America, Gene, uh, and you know we don't know, we don't know how to act." Uh, they take it that seriously, and I knew my my confirmation that they take it this, this that seriously is. I went to um, a city called Nara, and Nara has this famous park, and in the famous park are these deer, these very pale colored deer, who they're, you know, they're like squirrels, except they're big. They're just in the park, and they're just all over the place, and they just, you know. And I was leaving the park, and I walked out to the street, and there was a crosswalk signal, and there was a deer waiting and looking at the crosswalk, and when the crosswalk signal turned green, the deer walked across. And I thought, boy, if you can get the deer to do it, that's an indication they're taking it seriously. So but, I think. I mean, so yeah. Go ahead. The situation that we have here, I, I mean, I don't know what other people do, but most, I never press the crosswalk signal because I know that it's not going to go off until it's, you know, I've waited a long time and I could cross anyway. And in general, when the crosswalk signal goes off when I'm driving, the person has already crossed. Uh, what we're doing is kind of the worst of all worlds. I do get that. Yes, there's there is a there's a little detour that I take uh, that leads me to an intersection with a crosswalk, and I take it to save a little bit of time. This detour, but it's a gamble. And if anybody has pressed the crosswalk button, I have made a mistake in taking this little detour. And I do notice I'll see somebody walk up. Press the crosswalk button, look around, realizing realize that there's no cars coming and that they are not in Japan at the moment, and they'll just walk across the street. And then I have to wait for the whole crosswalk cycle to go through. And that agonizing countdown, 12, 11, 10, the crosswalk is telling you how long this is going to take. Um, so, yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think we're unruly people. <laughs> we're Americans. Cost, 
almost costless way to get more pedestrian friendly. Right. All right. So, so your your solution is what? Explain what your your solution is. Solution is first Only, get rid of the beg yeah beg buttons. Um, and also so that you have an automatic crosswalk signal, but only in one direction. Um, yeah, that's going to annoy people. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm with you. I'm sorry. I'm not sure I'm with you. I mean, so it's okay. the, crosswalk, the crosswalk is going to go off whether anybody wants to cross or not. Um, crosswalk is going to go off whether anybody – I'm not sure what that means. Well, in other words, there's no beg button, so the crosswalk just the, – the, 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 the walk signal goes off. I mean, it starts even if there's nobody wanting to cross. Yeah, but so yeah. it won't be any different now. Just like you have to wait for a green light or stop and then turn red, you would just know that there's a crosswalk signal. Yeah. I don't know. Agree to disagree on that one, I think. Um, okay. And I mean, ta- I did talk uh, earlier this year or late last year, uh, I can't remember, <laughs> walking. We were doing a show about walking. I think that was the show where this came up in. Uh, and we did talk to a, kind of an urban designer and who said that basically if he could rule the world, he'd get rid of most red lights. Uh, that four-way stops work way better than, I mean, first of all, the traffic moves better. There are fewer accidents. There are fewer pedestrians hit by cars, bicyclists hit by cars. That four-way stops, people know. They've got to come to the four-way stop. They've got to look around. They've got to figure out whether it's their turn or not. Uh, And when you do that, you just become a lot more aware aware of your environment. And that he said, statistically, four-way stops are way safer than lights. So, we just filed that one away. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll have a little bit more time to talk to the proverbial you. And we are back thanks to our technical producer. That's Kat Pastor, the producer of this episode. And the person screening the calls is Jonathan McPants. We've got, um, well, I, I shouldn't say anything about the rest of the week. We've got exciting shows coming for the rest of the month. February will be, a, I'm taking two days off. That's why I can't say about the next two days. But um, all right. Anyway, let's uh, try to wrap up a few calls here. Well, Lake Como Dave. Uh, who holds a tenured chair in calling this show, uh, is with us now from beautiful Lake Como, Ohio. Lake Como, Dave, you have the floor. Greetings, Colin. I'll try to move it along, but I got to, you know, usually I don't call in unless I've got something I can think of to say that might be interesting, but today I don't. This just kind (laughs) of came out of something that someone said earlier about news in Connecticut, and that got me thinking. As you know, I'm from there. I was from Orange and Milford originally. Many years ago, my family was from the Midwest, uh, it's become a life goal for the last few years to move back to Connecticut, and that's, you know, desperate to make that happen because the Midwest is circling the drain. But as part of that, every morning I'm looking in on, I think it's Channel 8 News in New Haven because it's easy to get on the Internet. I'll watch that as I'm having my coffee, see what's going on. Partly aspirational because I just want to keep that flame burning to get back there, but also um, the news to me is always very interesting in Connecticut. If you superimposed Connecticut on Northeast Ohio, where I live. 
I'm way up near the, the Pennsylvania line on the lakeshore. If you go about 90 minutes south to Youngstown, that's the place most people have heard of uh, in Connecticut, uh, and then over to Mansfield, Ohio, and then north to Sandusky on the lakefront. Connecticut would fit all in there. Yeah. Um, however, I notice that when they do news, uh, not just on Channel 8, but it seems like absolutely everything that happens gets reported. If you have a fender bender in Vernon, if you have a house fire in Torrington, um, you know, everything gets reported. And you know, I find that maybe that's because there is still more budget and presence of news and, and, you know, more pains taken to get everything reported. But I can guarantee you that if there's a, if there's a carjacking in Youngstown, Ohio, it will not make the Cleveland news that I get. I'm just kind of curious. Why is there such dedication to reporting absolutely everything that goes on? Right. How about a broken beg button in Youngstown? Do you think that would come up? Uh, probably not. All right. So Only if there was some extra thing like a dirty bomb was discovered, <laughs> you know, at the same time. Broken big button at Walk Signal. Also, dirty bomb, yeah. news to follow. Yeah. Stay stay with us. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't really, I mean, sort of television is the area of news that I haven't worked in. I've worked in most other areas. Um, it's hard for me to, to answer that question. I will say that I think increasingly there's a specialization even within the world of local news, anywhere you go. And so, you know, what you see, first of all, I mean, when I came into journalism, which was in 1976, um, newspapers kind of drove everything. Newspapers were really big. They had big staffs, much bigger reporting staffs. I mean, you know, by orders of magnitude, much bigger reporting staffs than television, radio, or anything else. So the Hartford Current just had this gigantic workforce of reporters. And as I was saying before, there were bureaus all over the state and stuff like that. Um, and, and it was by far the biggest newspaper. But, you know, some of the other newspapers like the New Haven Register and stuff like that, they also were big. And typically what happened was that because uh, television, television stations could and still could, uh, could not and still can't dedicate very many people, if any at all, to finding news that nobody else has found. Um, they they tended to rely, A, on the reporting of newspapers. I mean, it was very common when you were a newspaper reporter to show up at something that you'd been covering for a week, and there'd be a TV reporter there with a copy of your article clipped out of the thing, you know, as kind of a point of reference because he or she was just walking into this thing cold. Um, and you know, that changed. I mean, newspapers have been eviscerated. Um, I mean, Hearst is still very strong, but the you know current is a shadow of its former self, and most other newspapers are too. But and television stations are still in the position of, I mean, one great thing uh, about, or one thing that makes, you know, um, uh, tell certain kinds of events e easy to cover is if you've got a police scanner or something like that, you just can know about them. Uh, whereas, other things you have to dig up. You have to have reporters who are available to go around and knock on doors and make calls. And, you know, I'm not saying TV stations don't have those because they do. They have they typically have some very good people, but they don't have very many of them. And then the other thing is the TV news works off of very visceral kinds of content. I mean, you know, the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. I mean, that idea of just something that involves a chalk, out, chalk outline of a body is just way more interesting uh, they believe, and, and they've got market testing to prove it, I guess, than other stuff. I mean, what happened to newspapers, which was very sad, when newspapers became digital, 
for the first time, newspapers could measure interest in things. And unfortunately, it turned out what they found out, because they could measure clicks, they could see you know, what people were interested in. And it just turns out that, you know, the Fotis Dulos, Jennifer Dulos murder is way, way, way more interesting to people uh, than something that probably has much more significance in people's lives, like, say, the quality of their drinking water or traffic flow or, you know, bills being considered by the legislature. People will just, you know, will click on four or five different Dulos murder stories in one day and, and not look at anything <laughs> So some of the aspirations of newspapers to be better about this um, contracted at that point. And the last thing I'll say is that I do feel as though not-for-profit and and indie journalism in Connecticut and elsewhere in this country is really what's saving us right now. I mean, the Connecticut Mirror uh, is amazing. I mean, you know, Mark Mark Pazniokas is the dean of political reporters in Connecticut, but they have this this terrific staff all, all the way up and down. Uh, and a not-for-profit model. Uh, CT News Junkie is a little bit different, but also a really, really good news source. What Paul Bass did with the New Haven Independent, also a really good news source and kind of multimedia that incorporates some video, incorporates some audio, uh, basically, though, an on-site, uh, on, uh, online print model. And, and, you know, I mean, television, there's always going to be television news. People just want it. They want to see the weather. They want to see you know, certain kinds of things that television news does well. But complexity is never something that television news does well. And a lot of things are really complex. Uh, I mean, television news, at least, it's locked into a certain kind of model. I mean, you take something like the border deal. The border deal was an unbelievably complicated thing where Republicans first reached out with an idea. Here's how we're, you know, we'd be willing to go along with some Ukraine funding if you give us a border deal. Then three months go by, people work on this deal. Chris Murphy is one of the key uh, people working on this deal. They come up with this, this deal that nobody thought that they could do, a deal that was acceptable to both sides. Uh, and and that it turns out that because of Trump, the Republican Party walks away from the deal that it had insisted on. You need a lot of time to tell that story, uh, and you need a lot of nuance and subtlety to be able to tell that story. And TV news, they're just you know not necessarily all that well equipped to do it. Although, I mean, I'm not talking about obviously you know CNN or something like that. Anyway, uh, used up too much time. My apologies to Josie and to John and to John and to John and to John. It's John's all the way down. The number you have reached has been disconnected.